Bodhi said when he went to prayer meeting, it gave him what? Gave him energy. And that's one of the things we want to do. Do you feel tired? Yeah, a lot of people feel tired, and I think the devil wants to make us feel tired because when you feel tired, you don't feel like doing anything. And yet we're living in the most unprecedented times in earth's history when God's people need energy. Okay? And let me just talk about what's happening in our world, and then we'll get into energy. Energy. You know, um, I want us to turn to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 13. And as you're doing that, I was looking at news on my internet, and I saw a clip to, to uh, hit, and uh, it said uh, this certain news, Fox News, said there was a fulfillment of prophecy. Of course, I kind of knew what they were going to probably allude to, the Jerusalem becoming the capital of Israel. So this is just a few weeks ago. And so I listened to the clip, and sure enough, they said, uh, we just seen a fulfillment of prophecy, which really isn't a fulfillment of prophecy. But isn't it amazing that a news broadcast would be talking about the fulfillment of prophecy instead of just telling us about the news? That they've actually taken a religio-political stand. Isn't that what the Sunday laws are all about? A religious political position. It's just amazing that we're hearing this now. I, I don't know that I've ever quite heard anything from a secular news source talking about the fulfillment of prophecy. That's something you'd hear on a religious newscast. But anyway, in that in that clip, it also equated Trump to Cyrus. That Trump is like the modern-day Cyrus. Now, who's Cyrus? We first find about Cyrus, who was the general of the Medes and Persians who defeated the Babylonians, who had put God's people into captivity. So he was like a hero to the Jewish people. And so not only did he defeat the Babylonians... He was one of many, like Artaxerxes, who proclaimed a decree that actually helped fund the Jews to rebuild the city and the temple back in Jerusalem. I mean, he was just, it was like a godsend. And so when you have a secular news broadcast talk about the fulfillment of prophecy with Jerusalem as, as the capital of Israel and that Trump, President Trump, is like the Cyrus of today, I thought, well, you couldn't be more wrong. You know, and again, I'm not taking a political position here on either news broadcasts or political parties. I'm just looking at prophecy. Because in prophecy, we, we know that the pendulum has swung so far to the left, right? And there's things that are happening to the left that we wouldn't agree with culturally or morally or ethnic, uh, ethically. And yet that pendulum's going to swing where? Way to the right where they're going to start passing religious legislation. Now, what the left has done, and not everything, I mean, there's good and bad you'll find with every group, right? The devil is a master of mixing good good and evil together, truth and error, which makes it harder to detect the error. Isn't that right? Is the fact that he mixes it all together. And so... And so the thing, the, the pendulum swung so far to the left, and now it's swinging to the right, so far to the right, now, have you heard of a group of people called the Dominionists? A Dominionist is a is a, a brand of Christianity that believes they're actually supposed to control the United States. Okay, they believe, and just look it up on the internet, not right now, but 7M Dominionists. 7M stands for seven mountains. Those mountains include, these are things they believe they're supposed to control. Government, 
education, religion. How do you control religion? Uh, the media, um, entertainment, uh, ed, did I say education? Family? Seven mountains. That means like controlling everything. How would they control? By promoting one religion, right? Christianity. It would be their brand of Christianity. Isn't that right? Which is where you're going to get the Sunday laws. Because, you know, we're, we're one of maybe a hundred groups of Christians around the world that actually keep the Sabbath. We're the largest Sabbath keeping group, but we're not the only ones. Okay? And so, and so they believe that they're supposed to take over the seven mountains and then Jesus will come. That's a pretty scary doctrine because that gives them all the justification to win every political election, which they just most recently won. And I'm going to raise some names of people who are dominionists. Okay? Kellyanne Conway. Have you heard that name? I mean, she's like the spokesperson for Trump. Okay? DeVos, head of education. Senator Ted Cruz. Sarah Palin. I mean, these are all huge names. Right? Uh, Bannon, Steve Bannon, ran Trump's campaign. These are all dominionists who believe they're supposed to control the United States. So the whole reason why you have a president who previously was in what? Real estate. Right? Why would he care whether Jerusalem became the capital of Israel? The bottom line is he didn't. Who actually wanted Jerusalem to become the capital of Israel? The dominionists. Because they believe that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus told the disciples that Jerusalem would be destroyed, but he never told them it would be rebuilt. And the reason God would have nothing to do with the rebuilding of a temple, because it would be a denial that his own son had died for the sins of the world. Why would God rebuild a temple and have sacrifices again? Wouldn't make any sense. This is dominionist theology and they're basically gaining control of a certain party in our country. Not completely, it's a split party. But they are in control, friends. And they are starting to dictate policy. The reason why we're going to be so hard on Iran, the reason uh, the capital of Jerusalem is because 30% of these guys, guess what they want to happen? Battle of Armageddon. What do they believe the Battle of Armageddon is? An actual military battle in the Middle East. Do you know what happens in a battle of Armageddon in their mentality? How many people die? Millions. Could you imagine living in the end of time as a professed Christian, praying for a war to happen where millions of people die? You see, the reason we're in the world is that we don't want people to die. We want people to live forever. We don't want to see any wars happen. Why? Because people are going to die and be in Christless graves. We're praying for peace so that we have a chance to witness to people before everything falls apart in the closer probation, right? We shouldn't be praying for wars. We shouldn't be praying for violence. Just the opposite. And so you start seeing how dangerous this whole movement is. And so whether you go way to the left or way to the right, you're in, you're in a couple ditches, aren't you? You don't win on either side there. This is why we just need to be Seventh-day Adventists. Don't be a Seventh-day Adventist Democrat. Don't be a Seventh-day Adventist Republican. Just be a Seventh-day Adventist. Preparing the world for the soon return of Christ because I tell you, if your mind's not down that line, you're going to start listening to all the opinions of men and women in the world that aren't going to get you to heaven. 
The only side we need to be on is the side of Jesus Christ, which is why we keep the Sabbath. We are citizens of heaven. We Sure, we're citizens of the United States, but first, citizens of heaven. When you're born again, you're born from above, and above is Christ's kingdom. You are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, and therefore your king has first precedence over your mindset. You do what he says to do, and if the earthly governments conflict with that, you choose Jesus, not earthly governments. That's the only mindset we can safely have in this world. There may be things I would agree with the dominionists. But you see, friends, when you get a movement that's going to push for Sunday lives, you can have nothing to do with them anymore. But it'd be the same with other movements, too, way on the left. You may agree with something, but when they go too far in some things, you can't line up with them. The only thing you can do is just stand like a unique individual as a Seventh-day Adventist where God has given us these principles of his kingdom to stand for on all kinds of issues. It's the only safe place to be. But I'm telling you, these guys are in control now. And they would have a Sunday law in just no time at all because they believe they're supposed to be a Sunday law. Because what they believe in is a theocracy. They believe we are a Christian nation and we need to have Christian Christian laws. Well, the fact is we're culturally Christian. We're not a Christian nation constitutionally. God's not even mentioned in our Constitution. Religion's only mentioned twice. That Congress can pass no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and religion is not a test for public office. It wouldn't matter whether you're a Mormon, Seventh-day Adventist, Catholic, or Jew, or Muslim, you can run for public office. Or if you profess no religion at all, you can still run for public office. And Congress can pass no laws that can't even touch the subject of religion, and those are the only two times our Constitution even talks about religion which means there's a complete separation of church and state. But these guys don't believe that. Which is why, when you get to Revelation 13, I want you to notice this. Revelation 13, beginning with verse 11, there's the worship of the beast, there's the mark of the beast, and there's the worship of the image of the beast, right? Those are three different things. But look at verse 11. I just want to read through verse 11 probably through verse 17, I want you to count how many times each one of these three things are mentioned. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So worship the beast once, so far, whose deadly wound was healed. He doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell near by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell near that they should make a what? An image to the beast. So the image of the beast is mentioned once so far. Which had a wound by a sword and did live. And he had what? He had, he had power to give life unto the what? Image of the beast. That's the second time. That the what? Image of the beast. Number three. Three times should both speak and cause that as many as would not what? Worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive what? A mark of the beast, mentioned once so far, in his right hand or in his forehead, that no man might buy or sell, or, or sell save he that had the what? The mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So in those verses, we have worship of the beast once, mark of the beast twice, 
image of the beast four times. See, here's the thing. We live in a world where people actually worship a beast. They believe in the immortality of the soul. They believe in worshiping that which is a creature. Isn't that right? And they believe already in a mark of the beast. They all believe in a Sunday sacredness. But do you know what they all don't believe in right now? They don't all yet believe in the image of the beast. Because the image of the beast is a likeness to the first beast, the papacy. And what did it look like? Uniting of church and state. When the state would do the bidding of the church. Not every Christian believes in the image of the beast. Not every Christian believes that we, you and I can unite church and state. That the state should initiate religion. Many Christians are against it. We are. We believe in separation. But the Bible says that they'll get the whole world to what? Worship this image of the beast. They have to now convince who? You and me and the rest of the world that religion should be supported by the state. Now, there's a lot of Christians who do believe in meshing church and state. Isn't that right? And we have been for a little while now. Procreate, tax money that you pay goes to churches to run schools. That's a form of church and state. Um, these uh, all programs, uh, faith-based initiatives, helping churches that do community service take our tax dollars, taxing a person who may not even believe in a God, being taxed to support religion to do social services, a form of church and state. But the worst of it's going to be passing a national Sunday law, because that's very specific. That's specifically pointing towards Christianity, which Sunday's really not a sign of Christ's resurrection, is it? No, we celebrate Christ's resurrection by living a resurrected life every day. We live every day by the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power you and I to live on because that's the only way you can keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You try to do it in your own power, you'll never do it. There's one power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that you and I can keep the commandments of God. We should pray for that power every day. How close is that power to us? It's always been all around us, hasn't it? Yeah, It's always been with us, right around us. All we've had to do is ask for it. And if we haven't asked for it, we don't receive it. If you want it, it's right there, immediate. That's the power we need. That's the power we're going to need to finish this work. The energy, part of that energy. We'll talk about that in a little second here. But you know, when we look at this second beast, let's look at Revelation 13 again. The second beast, let's read verse 13 and 14 again. I want us to look at this second beast and look at its description because God gives this second beast another name. Revelation 13, 13. And he doeth great what? Wonder, so he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he does what? He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of beasts, saying that dwell on the earth that they should do what? Make an image to the beast which had the sword and did live. So I want you to remember that description and now turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse 20. In fact, well, let's go verse 19 and 20. Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him. Who's him? We'll find out that it's Jesus that sat on a horse and against his armies. 
So really, the beasts and the kings of the earth are going to be arrayed against Christ and his armies, and we'll see that in a second. And the beast was taken, the first beast of papacy, and with him the what? The false prophet. And what did the false prophet do? Who wrought what? Miracle. Sounds like the second beast, doesn't it? Before him, with which he did what? Well, that's exactly what the second beast did. Deceive the world. Deceiveth them that had received the mark of the beast and then that worshipped his image, right? This is the same description as the second beast. The second beast of Revelation 13, which we know is the United States, has another name. It's called the false prophet. Now, what's a prophet? A prophet is someone who believes they speak for God. Moses was a spokesperson for God. But he's a true prophet. Isaiah, true prophet? Spokesperson? You bet. Jeremiah. Daniel. The beloved John. Second beast of Revelation 13. No. False prophet. But they believe they're the voice of God. Now who in our culture today would have the motivation to get you to worship a certain way have the power to do it and believe that they're the spokesperson for God. Who am I describing here? The Pope, but more specifically, it's really not the Pope. The Pope is the first beast. The second beast is apostate Protestantism. The false prophet is these dominionists and these erroneous evangelicals. It's not all the evangelicals, but you've got a certain segment of them that are false prophet that are pressuring our lawmakers to pass religious legislation. You see, in the old world, it was God's people being persecuted by the papacy. In the end, we got to face both. The papacy and who else? The Protestants. Apostate Protestants. Which is the second beast. Which is the same as the false prophet. These guys actually think they're the spokesperson for God. I'm not questioning their intentions. But they don't know their Bibles. And they can't be further off on Bible prophecy than they are. It's tragic because their erroneous concepts of prophecy is driving politics today. And where it's driving it is what they believe is going to be a battle of Armageddon. This is why we're going to be so much tougher on Iran. Because they're trying to push the button over there. You push them hard enough, the Iranians will probably do something and they know that. These guys want that. You can look, you can get on polls. People who've that, who've asked these evangelicals, these dominionists, what do you think about the battle of Armageddon? Do you want a battle of Armageddon? 30% yes say yes. They're actually pushing for it. Because if there's a battle of Armageddon, guess what they get to do? They get to be secretly raptured out of the world before it happens. They believe this stuff. That's the tragedy. And the Jews had erroneous concepts and they crucified Jesus. Why can't it happen to an apostate Christianity? Why can't they do something equally bad? And they're going to, aren't they? And the persecution of God's people, they're persecuting Christ. And it's so sad. But I want to read you a statement here. Evangelism, page 18. She talks about how stronger advancements have to be made. We've got to get this message out. And then she says, if our people will go forth in faith, doing whatever they can to make a beginning. And laboring in Christ's lines, the way will be open before them. That's a promise. If they will show the energy that is necessary in order to gain success, and the faith that goes forward 
unquestioningly in obedience to God's commands, rich returns will be theirs. They must go far, they must go as far and as fast as possible with a determination to do the very things the Lord has said should be done. They must have push and earnest, unwavering faith. The world must hear the warning message. Friends, the world were everything we've preached for the last 150 years. Two superpowers in the end of time. First beast, the Vatican. Second beast, apostate Protestantism in the United States. Merging together. It's here. It is here more today than yesterday even. Who thought Catholics and Protestants would ever work together 100 years ago? Usually Catholic kids and Protestant kids didn't even play together 100 years ago. Not in this country. And now they're politically joined together. The two superpowers in 1989 was the Soviet Union and the United States. But with the collapse of communism in the former Soviet Union, we now have the United States and the Vatican as the two superpowers since 1989. Is that prophetic? That's prophetic. Catholics and Protestants working together is prophetic. Dominionists now taking over politics in America, talking about prophecy being fulfilled on secular newscasts. We're here, friends. And these kinds of things that are happening in our world that are fulfilling prophecy right before our eyes should give us energy. It should get us off the pews and out there handing out books and telling people that time is just about up. We don't want to wait till the Sunday laws are passed. Before the Sunday laws are passed, it's important that we get out as much literature as we possibly can. That we meet people as, as many as we possibly can. That doesn't mean the first thing you say to them, here's a great controversy. But you have an opportunity to get to know people. If you have an opportunity to meet them again, find something you can find agreement with. Begin that relationship that gives you the opportunity, that earned opportunity to share more truth. If you only get to see one person, this person once in your life, hand them some truth-filled literature. Don't miss that opportunity. And the more times you take advantage of those opportunities, what do you get to gain? Energy. Let me tell you something. I had a Bible study contact. I went up, was up in Ashtabula, actually. Went to meet a guy who had an interest in Bible studies and went up there, knocked on his door. He lived in this apartment complex. And I had, was impressed. The Lord impressed me to take these Bible stories with me. So I bought like 11 copies of used copies. And so in his apartment area, I'd meet people. And I'd say, hey, I'm with the Bible stories. i got a loaning library. Would you like to use these? These are the same ones you see in the doctor's offices. Do you know that nine out of ten people take them? I write down their name, their apartment number. I go back the next week and meet them. I always meet new people. Do you know what that gave me? Energy. Absolute energy. Nine out of ten people, I've never seen something that gave me more energy. Just to think that people would start taking these stories and start reading them to their children. Children got to be prepared for the second coming. Not just adults. Energy. You look for things that you can do that will give you energy to put your mind in the right mindset. Because I'm telling you, friends, time is short. If we do nothing, we're not going to be ready. We need energy. We need things that are going to encourage us to take the next step. And we're going to keep talking about that here in a little bit. But she talks about having energy, determination. From the book Education, page 267, 
Many do not become what they may, or that many do not become what they might become because they do not put forth the power that is within them. That's an interesting statement. They do not, as they might, lay hold of divine strength. There are others, again, who might have filled a responsible calling, but who, for want of energy, application, or perseverance, content themselves with an easier place. That's not a safe place to be. To think what's easiest for me as a Christian is not a safe way of thinking. We need to be thinking about having determination. Think about what you're going to do. We're going to talk about having a name. But without a name, certain wheels in the mind don't start turning. But as soon as you have a name, have an aim to do something for the Lord, then you start gaining what? Energy. And once you start doing that, you gain energy. And it just keeps building and building and building. But I can tell you right now, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you from having a beginning. If he can keep you from keep you from never handing out any literature, never talk about the Lord with anybody, never have a devotional life, he's got you. You and I have to use our God-given abilities because God will hold us accountable for our mental capacity, our physical capacity, everything, whether we were gaining strength or we just threw it away. We all have certain power and we've got to get a focus Why did God give us these abilities? Why did he bring us into this church with all these things happening in our world which we've known for 150 years? It's time to get to work. From uh, Fundamentals of Education, page 543, F.E. 543. They are to be taught to put their powers to the best use. Physical and mental powers are to be equally taxed. Habits of order and discipline are to be cultivated. The power that is exerted by pure, true life is to be kept before the students. And we're going to talk more about habits of order. Do you know that when you just keep a simple habits of order, you get up in the morning and you pray, and we'll talk more about it, and then you do the next thing, and you do the next thing. What are you gaining? Energy. Because once you set up a habits... Habits to do that are helping you grow in the Lord, you're gaining one victory. Forget how small the victory may seem to you. A victory is a victory. And when you have a victory by getting up in the morning, the first thing you do is commit yourself to God. That's a victory. It's setting a flow to that day. And then the next thing you write down and you do that, you can check that off. And then you check off the next one. What are you doing? You're setting, there's a flow to everything in life. The rivers flow to the ocean. The life of the Father flows through His Son to us. That's what Ellen White talks about. There's a flow to everything. But you don't want to be a chaotic kind of thing going like this and this. That didn't go anywhere. You set a flow and you can have the wrong kind of flow. You can begin the day with the wrong kinds of thoughts that lead to other kinds of wrong kinds of things. And you just set a flow for bad things. You get up, there's nothing with God, no thought of God. Go drink your coffee or whatever. You're on a whole different stream. And that goes somewhere. It says in uh, Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 1, Volume 1, page 99, God has entrusted to each one capacities and powers that they may return, be returned to Him enlarged and improved. All His gifts are granted to us to be used to the utmost 
He requires every one of us to cultivate our powers and attain the highest possible capacity of usefulness that we may do noble work for God and bless humanity. I want you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30. Every one of us has been blessed with powers and capabilities. And we're to use them how? To the utmost, to the highest possibility that you can exercise mental power, physical power, all of that, that God has given us to His glory. Now I want you to look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and maybe with that, maybe even see this verse in a new light. And thou shalt love the Lord with what? All your heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy what? Your mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You know, sometimes when we read this, we say, the first commandment is love God. But no, he tells us how to love God. By taking every God-given ability and power that you have to the utmost is how you show love to God. Strengthen the mind. Strengthen the body. Strengthen the, the soul. Strengthen it to do the most utmost good work in blessing your fellow man and worshiping God. That's how we show our love to God. Not by saying we love God, but prove it with your life. Prove it that you love Him who gave you the mind that you have to think. The body that you have to move and go from here to there and show to the Lord by exercising these powers how much you love Him. How much you appreciate these abilities that you will take it and you'll increase it. Remember the parable of Jesus who He gave some five talents and He turned it into ten and He gave one what? Two talents. Turned it into what? Four, and they gave one guy one talent and he didn't do anything with it. That turned out very good for him? No, no see, that the parable is like, if could I, the guy who got five talents, did he show his love to God? Yes. The one with two. Yes. What about the one with one? He believed in God, but he didn't use his talent to the utmost to show that he really loved God. Is this making sense? Yes. You know, every day you and I have an opportunity to enlarge our capacity mentally on spiritual things. And if you have no devotional life, you take no thought of God, you've lost something. You've lost energy. You've lost spiritual power. What we need to do every day is gain power, not lose it. Think of things you can do in your life every day to gain power, spiritual energy, to do great things for God, to show your love for God and your love for your fellow man. I want to read you something here. This, to me, wow, this is quite a statement. From 4th Bible Commentary, page 1159. Christ died for every man. He has... I just want to stop. Do you know when I talked about them praying for the battle of Armageddon? And you just look at that statement, Christ died for every man. How could we possibly pray for a war to happen that kills millions of people and realize at the same hand that Christ died for everyone? You see what I'm trying to say? How could I... Christ died for the Muslim as well as he died for me. How could I pray for a war that's going to destroy millions of them or millions of Chinese or, or Russians that they believe is going to come against Israel? And I'm praying for these people's destruction? 
Christ died for every man. He has ransomed every man by giving his life on the cross. This he did that man might no longer live an aimless, selfish life, but that he might live unto Jesus Christ, who died for his salvation. Listen to this. It is an insult to the Holy Spirit of God for any man to choose a life of self-serving. Every soul is to minister. He is to use every physical, moral, and mental power through sanctification of the Spirit that he may be a labor together for God. If I were to live a life with the mental powers, physical powers, powers that I have that are all God-given, and I only use them for myself, that is an insult to God. When God gave His Son for my salvation and I only live for self, it's an insult to what God gave to the human family. The only possible way that I could appreciate what God has done for the human family and given His own Son is to be willing to minister to other people and not live a selfish life. Isn't that right? You know, when, when Jesus would talk about the antediluvians and how they did what? They were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying. Are those good things or bad things? Well, they're good things, right? <laughs> they're good things. It's not that they were doing those things. The problem was what was not in the list. They were not thinking of God. They were not ministering to their fellow man. They weren't visiting those in prison or helping the poor. They were only thinking of who? Themselves. That's why their thoughts were continuously evil, not because they went around murdering everybody every day. It's because they only thought of themselves. That's what an evil thought really is. When you really get right down, that's where it all starts. These selfish, self-centered thoughts could lead to murder, could lead to stealing, but it all begins with just being simply self-centered. Where there's just, just yourself. That's the center of the universe. And yet, when you think about what God gave, how could we not respond but by willing to give our lives in service to others? That doesn't mean you have to be in ministry full-time. It just means that in your Jerusalem, pray to help someone make a difference in somebody's life that's in your circle of influence. All those people. Kind words, kind deeds. Don't withhold good that you can do. It doesn't cost anything to say something nice. It doesn't cost you like a dollar. It's free. Freely give. Christ died for you. He gave up everything for you. And for me. So that we could live a life that ministers to people. And as soon as you start helping people, what are you going to get? You're going to get energy. You see, our youth are being kind of led to success under Uncle Sam and the world, what they really need to experience is service to other people. Because once they experience the high of helping another person, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to keep doing the same thing. You're setting a path. You're setting a stream. So when you start setting for your children, you start saying, okay, we're going to do this today, and then tomorrow we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. You're setting a flow in your child's life of service to others. That will form their character. That kind of character will make it to heaven. I mean, God's going to determine all that. But if we, if we make them think the whole world solves around them, boy, we're kind of making it hard for them to get ready for heaven. Think in terms of helping your children help other people, because that's right thinking. 
That's setting the right kind of path. There's a statement here. I don't remember where I found it, but it says, use every physical, moral, mental power through, oh, I just read, sanctification of the Spirit. So we need a focus. We need an aim. Education, page 262. Success in any line demands a definite plan. So don't leave here and just say, I want more energy. You've got to have a plan. Pray about what God wants you to do. Have a plan to do something this week. God knew every, everything he was going to do every day of creation week, he had a plan, didn't he? And in the end was this beautiful world. But the whole beautiful world didn't happen on day one. It happened on day six, and then day seven was creating sacred time. He had to go from one dot to the next, one day to the next, before he came to this complete picture. And so you can't become like Jesus in totality in one hour. But you can start laying out the dots. And you start connecting those dots. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Start connecting those dots to become more like Jesus. Have a plan this week. Because as soon as you have a plan to become more like Jesus, you're going to read the Gospel of John. You're going to read a chapter a day, or you're going to read a chapter a day in the Desire of Ages. Whatever that plan is, be specific. Have a definite plan. Because once you start that plan on day one and you read chapter one of John, you're more likely to read chapter two tomorrow. Isn't that right? You started a plan. You started a flow. You started developing new thoughts that lead to new habits, that leads to a new character. <clears throat> then it says, and this is this is why I, I forgot to write down the reference, but one of the chief causes of mental inefficiency and moral weakness is a lack of concentration for worthy ends. Do you know a lot of people, if you ask them, what is your mission in life? What's your end goal? What do you what's your highest aim? A lot of people wouldn't have one. They haven't thought about it which is part of the cause of mental inefficiency. They're using even less of their brain than we should be because they're not developing the mind because they don't have any worthy aims to shoot for. As soon as you have a worthy aim, you start using more mental power, which gives you more mental energy. But without an aim or a purpose, we have mental inefficiency. Think about all the mental inefficiency in our communities. Think of all the good that could happen if we could just get people's minds off themselves and into service to others. Think of the good that could happen with all this increase of mental capacity. All begins with a thought. Begins with a plan. Begins with a plan. In the book Christ's Object Lesson, page 257-258, This man's aims were not higher than those of the beasts that perish. He lived as if there were no God, no heaven, no future life, as if everything he possessed were his own, and he owed nothing to God or man. In our society, how many people would live like that? Quite a few. Quite a few. And she equates that as no thinking no differently than what? Because the common beast is only thinking about eating and sleeping and grazing and this and that, right? They're not thinking about eternal things. They're only thinking about temporal things. To have mental efficiency, to have the building up of a character, we've got to have a spiritual aim, an eternal aim. 
Where do you want to be throughout eternity? You want to be in heaven, right? To get there, who do you have to be like? You have to be like Jesus. The thief on the cross is going to be there. Only he had one day to choose to be like Jesus. But because his life was going in the right direction, God knew that if he continued, he would choose to follow Jesus. And only God can make that kind of determination, right? But you and I have been given many more days than one day. And how we use these days, how often we think of God, our, our willingness to serve God, how we love God, and we show that by our words, our actions, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, will determine our eternal destiny. I mean, it's all written in a book. It's all written in a book. But this is why every day becomes so important, because it's setting a path, a flow. And you and I need a flow right now that's going to give us more energy, more encouragement, more push to get a work done that God has already asked us to do. And we're still here. In the book Education, page 296, Often the youth cherish objects, pursuits, and pleasures that may not appear to be evil, but that fall, that fall short of the highest good. They divert the life from its noblest aim. Something better is the watchword of education, the law of all true living. Whatever Christ asks us to renounce, he offers in its stead something better. You know, we live our Christian life, and we should be, as a watchword, say, today's a new day, and I want something Better. I want to rise higher. I want to see things more spiritual. I want to see opportunities more often. I want to have better eyesight. More power, more energy every day. Because it's only the only logical path to take in getting ready for the second coming. Is to always know that no matter how far you've come, there's something better. We can all be better. We can be a, a better witness, a better pre a preacher, a better Bible worker, a better this, a better that. We can be a better parent. We want something better. And you're willing to exercise your God-given abilities to be better at it. That puts you on the right path. Never to be satisfied. There are things that we can lose our energy, book education, page 202, 203. In order to reach the root of intemperance, we must go deeper than the use of alcohol or tobacco. Idleness, a lack of aim, or evil associations may be the predisposing cause. So there's a lot of things the devil's trying to do to take away energy. Intemperance is one of them. He knows that if we're drinking alcohol, what happens? We lose energy. You lose ambition. You smoke, same thing. Take drugs. But what I found interesting here, just idleness. This is the idea that we could start a flow in our life of just wasting time. We're creatures of habit. And we keep doing that, we just keep wasting time. And But none of that creates energy. It's when you accomplish something in a short time, you say, hey, I can get some things done. This is why we find in the spirit of prophecy, if it only takes an hour to do this, don't take three hours to do it. If you can do it in an hour, what do you gain? Energy. You get more done. This is how we need to start thinking. Think more energetically, getting things done. Uh, 
Evil associations, the wrong associations, could that zap your energy? You bet it could zap your energy. Lack of aim could zap your energy. And this was interesting, and this was in the context of sports. Education, page 210, 211. She talks about how these amusements, uh, the love of pleasure, excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor, a disposition to shun, shun practical duties and responsibilities. I mean, I grew up with sports. But if you watch all this all the time, what's it going to do? You see, if you, if you, whatever the entertainment, even if it's watching movies, what you wind up thinking is that life is just a matter of being entertained. That's part of the problem. And if you think about life, if you keep doing these things hours after hours every day, it's, it's, you're just thinking in terms of life is, I work, I get entertained, I go to sleep. I get up tomorrow, I work, I get entertained, I go to sleep. And so life revolves around what? And this is why people live for the weekend. They work, they're tired, they want to play on the weekend. They want their toys now. They're willing to go in debt early just to have their toys because life is a matter of being entertainment. But you're setting a mental flow. And that kind of mental flow will not prepare us to have spiritual energy. You get spiritual energy by doing spiritual things. Is that true? Amen. Structure. Let's talk a little bit about structure here. Oh, as far as energy, you know. When you go to a checkout counter, what do you find in these little bottles? I think even some are even called energy, aren't they? People are wanting these energy drinks. You know, that's a booming billion-dollar industry. Why? People want energy because they feel so... They're so tired. They want to get things done, even if it's just worldly things, because they're lacking energy. You know, the whole eight laws of health give you energy. You get enough sleep, eat right, drink lots of water. All those things gives you what? Gives you energy. It doesn't earn you salvation. It just gives you energy to do what God wants you to do. But structure. You remember in elementary school when you you had to connect the dots from one to two to three or from A to B to C, and eventually it filled out a picture, right? Well, that's ultimately what we need to do to gain energy is you start putting down dots. You can't say, let's reach Cleveland. You'd say, what's dot number one to reach Cleveland? What's dot number two? What's dot number three? And as you go from dot to dot, you accomplish one task after the other, what do you gain? You gain energy. And you start getting encouragement that, hey, the Lord's moving in this. We're, this is happening, isn't it? And you want to be part of that. And so, uh, so you and I need to start setting up some dots. Let's think about some of those dots, those routines that you and I could do. The first thing you ought to do to set your first dot in the morning, what would that be? Worship God. Maybe prayer would be the first one. Now I'm talking about many, many dots, many of them. You pray, then what? Study. Okay? Now you, you know, I'm not trying to set your dots up for you. I'm just, what do you want to do for your dots? After you've prayed and you've studied, what are you going to do? At some point you've got to drink some water. 
Because if you're dehydrated, you're going to be what? You're going to be tired. <laughs> you're going to be so tired. But you got to put a dot in there for drinking water. What are some other dots? Take a shower. Now, you might say, well, that just seems so simple. But if you set up all these boxes and you start checking them off, once you've done one, you feel better about accomplishing the next one. And then the next one. You're setting a flow. And every day is that important, isn't it? That you're setting up all these dots because you want to create a picture. You want to get to the end. But it's one step at a time. And every step you take, you get energy. And right now, God's people seem awfully tired. We need to do things that helps us gain energy and determination. So you have your daily devotional. You have a a well-balanced breakfast as part of gaining energy, isn't it? Maybe taking a memory card with you from your devotional to keep it with you so you don't forget what you studied this morning. Own those verses you read in the morning because when you can memorize a verse or you captured a new thought on a verse, what did you gain? Energy. If you just read and you don't learn anything, you probably actually lost energy. It's when you read and gain understanding and motivation that you gain energy. Now here's the thing. To get more energy, what do you have to do? You have to spend it. Right? And I'm not talking about being burned out. I'm just, you know, I put gas in my lawnmower. The gas only lasts so long. I've got to use up that gas before I put in new gas. You've got to use energy to, to get energy. And it's by using energy and doing the right things that you actually become stronger and develop your capacities that gives you more energy. And the more capacities and the more you can do for the Lord, you become better at this, something better, better at this. What are you gaining? You're gaining energy. See, the path that God wants us to be on is a a light that shineth brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. You want to gain energy, sunlight, right, by walking on the path, and it's only getting brighter and brighter and brighter, but you got to spend energy walking down that path. Now, the devil's going to put a lot of clouds around your little solar panels, right? So you have less energy, which means you've got to bring as much sunshine into your life as you possibly can. The sunshine of prayer, the sunshine of study, a devotional life, the sunshine of making a difference in another person's life, a kind deed, a kind word. you got to bring sunshine in your life to recharge those batteries. But I tell you right now, the devil's going to put every cloud over you he can possibly do. But that's part of why the word determination was in that original quote. How would you define deter- determination? Any thoughts? It'd be kind of a the mentality that you're not going to what? You're not going to give up. This is just way too important to you. You already know ahead of time you're going to face opposition. But the blessing is you have determination. And sometimes we face failure, don't we? So if I'm out giving Bible studies and I do it kind of wrong, you know what the blessing is there? I don't have to do it wrong again. I just learned how to not do it. Don't become depressed by that. Just move on. Don't do it again. Do it better. 
figure out a better way to do it, gain some energy. But some people are so affected by failure that they either don't attempt anything or they try something, they never do it again. But this is why we must have energy and we must have determination and we must have push. We've got to have all of it. Don't get discouraged. Truth is on your side. You keep moving forward. And as you take each step, you're gaining strength, friends. You gain strength. And we should be stronger today than we were a year ago. But that's how we have to look at all our opportunities. An opportunity to gain strength. Well, the Lord needs a people who are doing all the things and work in cooperation with him that are gaining strength and power and energy every day because time is short, friends. I don't know if it's one year, two years, three years. I can't say. But I can tell you right now, I've seen things politically in our culture that I've never seen since I've been an Adventist since 1989. The players are in place. They're there. I don't like what the left does. Do you know what the great apostasy is in this country? And is as apostate as same-sex marriage and things are like that? And it's bad. What's worse is passing a Sunday law and acting like you're God and you try to force religion down people's throats. And what's worse than that? You start penalizing people because they don't believe the way you do. Friends, that's way worse. As bad as what happens on the left, it's way worse to tell men, women, and children, pregnant women, you can't buy or sell because you worship on the wrong day. That's just downright satanic. But that's exactly what will bring national ruin to this country. So we need to learn some things. We need to put some energy into learning about the worship of the beast, to know more about how you and I don't have an immortal soul. We need to pray for opportunities to tell people about the resurrection, how we all get to go to heaven together. We need to know more about the mark of the beast versus the seal of God. More about the Sabbath and more about what the first day, how it is mentioned in the Bible. To help people understand that. And as soon as you help someone understand that issue, what are you going to gain? Energy. But this is one topic that we haven't spent as much time with as we need to, and that's religious liberty. The image of the beast is the final wall that comes down. Because spiritualism, Catholicism, and the Protestants, they all already believe in the immortality of the soul. They already believe in Sunday sacredness. You know what the devil's doing right now? He's trying to convince everybody to believe in church and state meshed together. And these guys that are in control, you just watch it. He's going to perform, the devil's going to perform all kinds of false miracles through these guys. In the worldling who's not studying his Bible at all, what's he going to believe? What he sees. Because he has no foundation. You are so important to the world. Don't let the devil get you down, discouraged, without energy. I want to encourage you to fight back every day. I want to encourage you to do everything you possibly can to get energy to do something for the Lord because of what he's done for you. And let me just close with this. Daniel, how did Daniel gain energy? Did he have energy? I'll open it up. What did Daniel do? One thing. Pray. He prayed. He gained energy. How often did he pray? 
three times a day, probably more than that. What else did he do to gain energy? He had a vegetarian diet. He gained energy from that? Name a third thing. Associations, his three Hebrew friends, right? I tell you, friends, prayer meeting, the elder here said he gained energy. And we do gain energy when we come together, pray together, cry together, laugh together, study together. We get energy. What else he do? You know, every time he took a stand for right, what did he get? He gave strength and energy. And I'm telling you, friends, whatever you're dealing with in your life, if there's some unconfessed sin or something you're struggling with, you gain the energy, you gain victory, you gain energy. And the energy you gain from that victory is going to give you the confidence to overcome the next one. Not by your strength, but by God's. See, we can become stronger every day. We can become such a strong force that a movement can get started that the devil can't stop. But it takes determination, it takes energy, it takes push. Not just knowledge. We need to mess our knowledge of what we know about the Bible with energy, determination, and push, and let's get this work done. Before we have our closing prayer, we have our closing hymn, which is number 500. Number 500. Oh.